Well, in this uh, particular series, it's been an interesting series of, in the response of people. For some, they're saying, I want more, 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 more. And some people are saying, when is this series going to get over? Uh, so it's uh, been one of those uh, interesting dilemmas there as far as making it, making it clear as far as what we're doing, why we're doing, and then uh, what are some of the takeaways I want you to take home. And so hopefully uh, this will be helpful today as we, uh, again, look at that which God has for us. I'm entitled the, but as we think about that, I, I got a couple of stories here to share with you as to think about. Sometimes people, we think they know a little bit more than they really do know. They understand some things a little less than we, we would anticipate them, at least, or listening to the words they had to say. And so this kind of relates to even our time together today. Uh, a second grader came home from school and said to her grandmother, Grandma, guess what? We learned how to make babies today. The grandmother, more than a little surprised, tried to keep her cool. That's interesting, she said. Uh, how do you make babies? Well, it's easy, replied the girl. You just change the Y to I and add ES. <laughs> you know, so sometimes, you know, we, we take stories a little bit stronger than we think people are actually saying. And then, then the whole idea of, of making sure that people um, really know what appears of what they know. I, I like this one. A little girl was diligently pounding away on her grandfather's word processor. Uh, she told him she was writing a story. Well, what's it about, he asked. I don't know, she replied. I can't read. <laughs> and maybe you've seen some people who are just flying on the keyboard of a computer, and it looks like they really are composing something really brilliantly. And then, then you, if, it's, if it's getting presented on the screen, you realize all it is is just letters jumbled everywhere. In fact, if you were to ever see me on a keyboard doing that, you know I'm not actually typing because I type like, like this, you know. And, and sometimes people have presenting a lot of activity, and maybe they're using a lot of words, but if you kind of go through all of what they're saying or what they're talking about, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, there might be another place where something makes a lot more sense. And, and what we're trying to present in this series, uh, there are, really are reasons for hope, is that as we think about why we're here, or at least what it looks like why we're here, is that we're, we're here to, to understand that there is a God and that God has a plan for our life. And because he has a plan for our life, we, we don't have to look into the future and wonder what's going to happen. All, all we're called to do is wait for it to happen and, and really be confident that we know it's going to happen. And, and so th- this uh, particular series is looking at wh- why do we believe what we believe? Why do we have hope that there really is a God? And so if you take your outline this morning, I probably presented an intro a little bit longer than I really should have, but what I want to begin with is simply say this. What we're talking about in this series is that we want you all to come to that place where you truly have faith. And I would call true faith is authentic faith. Faith in that which is real and that your faith is really in that which is real. You know, some people make a nod to God, and, and that's really all it is. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? It, for some, it means absolutely what? Nothing. It doesn't change how they live. It doesn't change uh, what they, how they respond to life. It's just a, uh, maybe an intellectual, intellectual assent that there's probably some supreme being out there, but they're not trusting in Him or relying upon Him. So we're, we're calling people to have true faith. And to have true faith, you, you've really got to come to that place in your life. It's not just wishful thinking. And then as we think about authentic faith, you better believe, no matter how emotionally connected you are to what you think really is true, is that you're putting your faith in that which is true. 
Some people have a, a faith in God in general, but it's not the true God. And that kind of faith will not really bring them true hope. Because true hope in the scriptural perspective is not just wishful thinking, but it's, it's a confident assertion. It's a conviction that you, you know this is going to happen. And maybe you've talked to people in time and said, you know, what, 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 do you know what's going to happen in your future? And for some, they've got it all planned out. They've got it all laid out. They have these goals and objectives and the, the, uh, the patterns by which they're going to live, by which will bring those goals and objectives to happen. Said, I know in my future this is what's going what's to come to pass. But in many ways, that's just wishful thinking. And those wishes might come true and they might not come true. But God wants us to be able to say, I know what is in my future. Not, not that I am guessing this might be in my future, but I know what is going to be in my future. That, that God has a plan for me. And when this life is over, I know where I'm going. And because God is good, my future is good. And God wants our hope to be a present experience as well. So you could also say this, hope in God is a confident assurance that God's promises are true and that our future is good. And the promises of God are those that we hold on to, that no matter what we go through, that God is always with us. And as we have loved ones that go through various things, that in the midst of their trials or challenges, we know that God can go with them if they, they know Him and are following after Him. We have a passage we're urging people to at least work on trying to memorize, 1 Peter 3.15, but, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And if you've really read the context of this passage, he's not really emphasizing in some ways what we're emphasizing in this series because um, in in a way, yes, and in another way, there's another side to it, is that he's not just asking you to be able to give an intellectual response to people ask, why do you believe or why do you have hope? But as people go through life's challenges, how can anyone have hope when that happened to you? And whether it was last week, as Pastor Bill was sharing about, at an early age, he lost his parents, at least physically. And you wonder, well, how, how did you handle that? How, how, did, how did you just not live a life of despair? Because, because he had hope. A confident conviction that his future was settled and he knew where his parents were and that changed everything. It didn't make it easy, but it was that which brought substance to his life and gave him hope. Some of you have recently lost loved ones, and, and, and people could ask, how, how, did, how are you going through it? And, and, and you don't want to diminish it. It's not easy. But the reason you can have hope, because you, you can know what the future is, because you know the good God who holds the future. But as we think about that, there are times, well, well, why do you have that hope in God who, who gives you confidence in what you're going through? And, and that's, that's a place where we need to be able to share some of the reasons why we believe. Some have said in the series, well, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I can't necessarily understand everything about it, and I, and I, I don't even remember most of it. So how, 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 am I supposed to, how am I supposed to deal with this? Well, if you really want to get active in your Christian life and put a little bit of adventure to it is, is be proactive. Uh, start some conversations with people and maybe just simply ask them a question like this. Uh, have you ever put your hope in God? 
You know, ask some of your friends, some people in your, in your relational world that you're not sure where they are spiritually. And just ask them, why, have you ever put your hope in God? And for many of them, they've probably never been asked that question. They're going to go, what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, when you go through life's challenges and when you think about your future, have you, have you ever thought about putting your hope in God to, to look ahead to what might happen or will happen next? And the response that could either be yes or are you still with me? I can I start? I can start all over, right? So uh, yeah, they're going to either say yes or no, right? Well, if they, if they say yes, well, tell me, how's that helped you? Or how's that not helped you? And for some, say, yeah, I tried that, but it didn't work, right? And then that's a whole other conversation. Or some, I've never even considered it. Well, then you ask the question, well, why not? And, well, I've never thought about it, or I thought believing God was foolish, or it was something when you were young, you know, but it's not when you grow old and you just get over that, just like, you know, you don't believe in the tooth fairy and whatever it might be, and, and so it's over. And then you can explain why you believe. Well, that's what we're trying to do in this series, and that's what we're going to jump into in a moment. And, and we've taken, there's so many different ways we could approach this. And, and I want to make this really clear, what we're doing in this series is, is, you know, taking a step back, we're, we're not so much primarily talking about Jesus in this series, though it's, he's in really everything we're talking about behind the scene. But Jesus can't be God if there is no such thing as what? As God. And so why would any believe, be, person believe there's a supreme being in this universe? And then after you come to that point where you believe there is a God, well, then you need, then you need to ask, well, is that God knowable? And has he made himself known? And do I have an option to put my trust and faith in him? And uh, we're taking off on a, on a resource, uh, Stealing from God, by Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek. And he put a, an acronym, an acrostic together, in which he put it this way. They're rephrasing a little bit how he put it together. There are crimes, and I'll put it personally, I commit intellectually when I refuse to put my hope or faith in God. And normally we don't think that way. Well, you know, it's just an option. You can choose to believe or choose not to believe. And let's be honest. An atheist is a person of faith. Their faith is, I believe there is no God. And a theist is a person who says, no, I have faith. I believe there is a God. And, of course, the question needs to be asked of both people, an atheist or a theist, well, why do you believe what you believe? Either there is no God, there is a God. And for some, they're saying, well, you're, you are, you're, you're being intellectually naive if you believe in God. And we're saying, no, you're being intellectually naive if you don't believe in God. Or at least give, let me give you a few things to consider why I have hope in hopeless situations, at least natural situations, when you lose loved ones or, or suffer deeply or you're going through reversals or things just are being destroyed in your life that you put so much value in. Well, how do you get through that? Well, how you get through that, if there is a God, is putting your trust and faith in Him. And so what we've tried to do is put these things together and give you some reasons. And the goal in this series is to give you six reasons to consider saying, hey, here's some responses you could give to a person. Say, well, why do you believe in God? And so that leads us to that point. And now we're going to, give, we're going to, go over, we're going to review two of them, and then we're going to get to a new one today. And uh, in case you forget some of the details, uh, there are three words we want you to remember today. I want you to consider three reasons why we could all believe uh, that it is feasible and intellectually honest to put your trust that there is a God. Number one is creation. Number two is reason. And number three is information. So let's just say those three words together. Creation, 
reason, and information. One more time. Creation, reason, and information. So we want to consider those, and that's what we'll try to do uh, today in the time we have. All right. Now, those who have been with us, some, some took already what I've shared that, you know, I just invent. I had, took it from other people and said that made sense or didn't make sense. So I'm trying one more time to make it a little bit more sense, all right? Uh, what are we saying when we say consider creation? If you were with us in the beginning of this series, we said, well, this is the argument of causality. But some people got confused by the word causality, probably because, you know, the preacher didn't make it very clear. But causality is, well, what's the cause of us being here? You know, as, as we think about these babies up here, and this is not biology 101, but, you know, we know why these babies came into being, right? It's just biology. They, 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 they came together, and, and there was a birth in the womb. And if, if somehow you show up and you've got your arm in a sling, one of the first things you, you say to somebody, well, what caused that, right? What happened? And, and it just didn't, you didn't just wake up, at, you know, from the night before, and all of a sudden you found your, your arm was you know, was, there was a bone protruding out of it. Something caused that to happen. And so as we think about causality or we think about creation, here's something I want you to consider. It, it makes more sense that someone created everything we can see than no one created everything we can see. Isn't that true? I mean, you look at this. Well, uh, there's only really two options. Either no one brought this into, to pass, everything that we see in this world, everything we can touch, feel, or taste, uh, either it just happened and no one brought it in, in to pass, or someone did. Or to put it another way, how do we explain the material world that we, we live out on on this planet? You know, if we look at all the chairs that you uh, are sitting on this morning, someone put that together, right? It didn't, it didn't just happen. And, and so this is what we're challenging people to say, well, look, as you think about it. And, and often, you know, when you look at when you're raising up children and you, you go to a beautiful area in the, in the world, whether it's, it's in the uh, uh, sequoias with all the, the beautiful red trees, and you say, well, how did that happen? And you can, you can have all these fancy reasons for it, but the clearest thing is that, that God created this world. And He created the processes by which that tree has come into, come into being. And for a while, what happened is that people would say, you don't need to have an explanation for the material world, or you don't have to have an explanation for creation, as theists would say, because you don't have to create something that it's always been, right? If these chairs have always existed as they are right now, you wouldn't need anybody to put them together. Isn't that true? And so as we think about that, what happened is that for the longest period of time, those who did not believe in God, they said, well, material or physical things have been in existence forever. Now, not in necessarily the same form, but they say material things have always existed. And so then over time, and this is the evolutionary model, which has a theory of how things have gone from one thing to the next, but what happened to them in a shocking way is that now they began to realize scientifically that the material world has not always been. There was a beginning. And we talked about some of the reasons behind that. As you look at the universe expanding, as you, as you look at um, just uh, the problem of origins, there is no way that you can somehow justify 
that this, this world that we experience has always been. So then you ask the question, well, how did it get here? And then either it was spontaneous, it just burst, or that someone brought it to pass. The Bible says very clearly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We presented this syllogism to you. Okay, everything that has a beginning has a cause or creator. Everything. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, the universe had a cause or a creator. And whatever that cause, some of you are turning the pages. I'm not done yet, okay? The, whatever that cause or creator was, it had to be uncaused or you have to back up that ship a little bit further. And trust me, if you read the literature on this, those who deal with the issue of origin have problems. And they have the most fanciful opinions, which are a lot harder for me to believe than believe there, there is a creator God that brought it all in existence. Some say, well, what, we have a multi-universe perspective. And what, the, what has happened here is that aliens came here and planted all these seeds to ha- make all these things happen. And see, even if that were true, it still would remain the question, well, who began all those multiple universes? Who, who, who created all those aliens that somehow came to our planet a long time ago? So as we think about one reason we believe there is a God is, is consider creation. That's the first letter in crimes we commit intellectually when we choose not to choose to believe or put our hope in God. How did we get here? What makes sense? How would you explain that? And that's, that's something you could explain on, on various levels simply. Well, I believe there is a God because I look around me and how do all these physical things come to, come to pass? All right? We're all right there? The second um, reason is consider reason. And you're saying, well, that's a strange thing to say. Well, in many ways, I want you, I want you to get a, a picture of what we're trying to communicate here. There is the physical world or the material world. But what we're raising here is, is there an immaterial world? Is there a non-physical world? Okay? And again, I would probably say the same thing. It makes more sense that someone created everything we can't see than no one created everything that we can't see. How do we explain the immaterial world? Now, in case you're not tracking with me, you know, just look at the things that we... We all believe in, though we can't see, right? And I don't mean because we don't have the access to a powerful enough microscope, uh, but there are things that we can't see that we believe in. Do, do, do all of you believe here that these parents love their children, right? Now, you can see the result of their love, but can you put love in a test tube? You, you can't. You, you see that they're, they're really committed. That they, want to, they want to know their children better than anybody else. They want to relate to their children. And now, for some of them, they're, they're early on this whole parenting journey here, but there's going to come a place, uh, you know, as they, they raise their children, they're going to have to figure out how to discipline their children. They're going to have to, you know, how do I teach my children? How do I communicate to my children? What, what, whatever they're doing, I, I'm not particularly uh, pleased with, and, and that's wrong, and that's right. And, and, and you're, you're trying to communicate things to them that, that are immaterial, that can't be seen, but you, you totally believe in. I put it in your... In your uh, Outline this way. We can reason, we can relate, we can reflect, we can love, we can hate, we can make choices, we can be held responsible. Now, where did that all come from? Well, it's always just been. Oh, really? 
If the material world had to come into existence, which means there had to be a cause or a creator, how about the immaterial world? Again, we talked about that when we went through this. It's that little box you have to check sometimes when you're on, the, you know, on, a, on a site. I am not a robot, right? They want, to, they want a, a person to be connecting whatever they're trying to sell or whatever they're trying to get you to, to be involved with. Now, again, I have to be careful or we can journey in so many different ways. But neuroscience has gone along different ways in terms of defining how we do what we do. And there are, there are pockets in the brain that they can stimulate that will cause you to, to make actions, to, to do things. But it's fascinating about that. I was reading in the case for creator. I was borrowing that. I have a copy, but like a lot of my books, after I, I read them, I can't find where they are. But I was borrowing it from Matt and Sarah. And, and it's interesting. There's a, there's a scientist named Pinfield, and he, he did some amazing things. He did some things with some people, and he said, uh, okay, I'm going to stimulate various parts of, their, of a person's brain with a current that will cause them physically to do something, whether it's raise their right hand or... or or respond in a certain way. But what I want them to do is I want them to choose, even though they're part of their brain is being stimulated to make an action, I want them to try to prevent that action to happen. So I want the right hand to move, and so they're, and I just, if you can, I want you to use that other hand and keep it down. Now, think about that for a moment. If, if our bodies were only physical, what caused the other hand to be, bring, be brought over here? There had to be something that wasn't physical. It had to be somewhat mental. Or another test he did, he did it with epileptic um, patients and trying to help them in a variety of different ways. He would stimulate various parts of their, of their brain that would cause various actions, whether it be speech or whether it be a, a physical response. And then afterwards, he asked them, well, who, who made you do that? And he said, well, you did. It wasn't me. I wasn't choosing to do that. You were physically stimulating me. Well, who is that, that me that said I wasn't doing that? We had in some of our worship songs that, that we give our soul to the Lord. The, the Bible talks very plainly that we are both physical and non-physical. We're both material and we're both immaterial. There is a, there is a soul, spirit, and a physical body. And it's, again, I think I shared this that last week. If you see someone, and sometimes when you're just frustrated by how a person is responding, you might take your, their face by, their hand, by your hands. Is anybody in there? I'm, I'm talking to you, but you're not, you're not listening. You're not connecting to what I have to say. And the whole idea of self-awareness. You know, all, all of you have this sense that there's, there's something inside here that uniquely is you. And then as we tie this all to hope, when, when this physical body wears out for whatever reason, an accident or just age or an illness, a disease, we all have a sense built within us because of our self-awareness that though the body has stopped, that person had to go somewhere. And so as we think about why we believe what we believe, believe there is a God, one is, is the whole conviction that 
in reality that physical things just didn't happen. There had to be a cause, and that cause was a creator. So, so we look at creation, the physical part of this world. Also, as we think about the immaterial world, our ability to relate. To, and there's so many other things we could say. Our ability to respond, understand who we are, that there's something inside here other than this, the physical mechanisms that are going on. But what I want to talk about today real quickly is that another reason... Um, and I didn't go to the passage, but in Isaiah chapter 1 and Proverbs 23, the Bible really speaks about you being able to make choices. And, and really think about in the spiritual realm, either you're going to choose to respond to God's invitation and follow after him in obedience, or you're going to choose not to. And in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so is he. And what's interesting about that passage in Proverbs 23, he's really, it's, it's a, kind of a deeper point. He, he, he's, he's speaking to people as you see people, and people can say one thing and mean another. Isn't that true? Or, or really a whole issue of motives. We, we can do something mechanistically, kind of robotically, and respond to someone's question or respond with a verbal response. But because there's, there's more to us than just the, the physical responses that people can discern is that you can't discern, well, why did that person do that? You know, when, they, when they said they wanted me to come over, did they, they really want me to come over? Or were they hoping to say, I would say no and I wouldn't you know, mess up their life? You know, it's the whole idea of motives, and that's that whole concept in Proverbs chapter 23. So we want to consider creation. We want to consider reason. Thirdly, we want to consider information. It makes more sense that someone created all the bits of specific information necessary for life than no one did it. Now... Uh, you may or may not be aware, but we are complicated physical beings. And initially, when Darwin started this whole thing, there's a, there's a book called Darwin Doubts by Stephen Mayer and also the signature of the cell. And initially, everybody thought these little uh, cell or uh, plasms were just, they were very simplified things in them. But in, in, in every cell of the body, even in an amoeba, uh, Richard Dawkins, who's not a believer, he, he had to admit that in, in, even a little amoeba, one cell of amoeba, there is more information in one cell of amoeba that, that would, uh, you couldn't contain all of it in a thousand uh, sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. You remember when there wasn't any Google? You had to actually read things in books? Okay, these were sets of books that had, you know, things if you could memorize, maybe you'd do pretty well in Jeopardy, all right? Is that, and he said, take a thousand encyclopedia sets, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't measure up to everything in one cell. See, Mayer says in one human cell, there's three billion bits of information. Well, where did that happen? Where did that come from? If you see information, like if you go to the... You know, Laguna Beach, and all of a sudden you see someone, you know, take anybody's name, you know, uh, Sally loves Jim, or Jim loves Sally, or whatever it might be. That inf- that's information that's placed on the sand. Now, none of us would ever think, well, that just happened by accident. You know, the waves come over and over and over again, and there's wind and all kinds of things, and, and that just spontaneously happened. All those letters came, to, came together. And so as you think about it, we think of the, the, the immense amount of information that's even built up within our own bodies. How, where did that come from? I'm going to share, uh, show you just a, it's going to be an overwhelming little video, but a little video from Stephen Mayer on uh, what is in our cell. And, and uh, we'll have that shown just real briefly.
1957, Francis Crick first proposed that chemicals called bases along the spine of the DNA molecule function as alphabetic characters in a written language or digital characters in a machine code. This animation shows how this digital information directs protein synthesis. First, a large protein complex separates the tightly wound strands of the DNA to prepare it to be copied. During this process of transcription, a protein complex called a polymerase produces a single-stranded copy of the original instructions. Here we see this copy, a messenger RNA molecule, being constructed inside the polymerase as individual bases are positioned and added to the growing strand. Now we see the polymerase in action from the outside as it spits out the messenger RNA transcript. Next, this RNA transcript approaches and passes through a molecular machine called the nuclear pore complex, an information recognition device that controls the flow of information in and out of the cell's nucleus. Now we see the genetic assembly instructions on the messenger RNA approaching and arriving at a two-part chemical factory called a ribosome, the site of protein synthesis. As the messenger RNA transcript passes through the ribosome, the process of translation begins. During translation, a mechanical assembly line builds a specifically sequenced chain of amino acids in accord with the instructions on the transcript. These amino acids are transported from other parts of the cell by molecules called transfer RNAs, which link specific sequences of bases to corresponding amino acids. The sequential arrangement of the amino acids determines the type of protein constructed. When the construction of the chain is complete, it is transported to a barrel-shaped machine that helps fold it into the precise shape required to perform its function. After the chain is folded into a protein, it is released into the outer cytoplasm to do its job in the cell. Now, all that detail is not going to be on the test, but what is going to be on the test is why, why do we believe what we believe? Why do we believe there really is a God? Well, let me just give you three words. One is creation. Consider creation. One is consider reason. The other is consider information. And, and that cell illustration was simply just to say there's a lot going on, those little things in your body. And, and how does that happen? Now, again, some will say, well, it's because of, of over time, all these things can be put into place. Um, there was a Scientist, philosopher, and said, well, as you think about time is the, is the hero of the plot. The things that are impossible become possible. The things that are possible become uh, probable, and the things that are probable now become certain. But the reality of the cell is that th- that makes absolutely no sense. 
Because not only do you have the three billion bits of information each cell that combine with other cells, and there's a whole kinds of other things we could talk about at that moment, but there's what's called an epicenter information, which is epigenetic information code, which is if you've got all this information, now you've got to put it in a, in, a, in a way that's organized where it actually works. For instance, you know, every, every book in the English language is produced by how many letters? 26, some of you guys, some of you are still thinking, all right, 26 letters, right, 26 letters. Every single word that's ever been written in the English language has been done if you know the 26 letters. Then you say, well, I can explain why you could go to a particular library and understand all that book, all those books, because there was a print shop that had all those 26 letters, and there was an explosion, and spontaneously all those books got written. Anybody believe that? No, whenever you read a book, you know that someone had to be in what? An author, they had to put those words together. And see, as we think about considering information, there is just an amazing amount of complicated information within every single cell. And you have to ask the question, well, how did that happen? Where did those bits of information come? But even if you were able to solve that, then you have to figure out, well, who informally and intellectually and intentionally put all those bits of information and put them in a, in a, situ, in a, in a form by which Life happened. Unique lives. You know, as we, as we look at it, if everything's just material cells, uh, you know, you could think, well, maybe, uh, maybe every single one of these children ought to look exactly alike. Well, they don't. And even with, I, even with twins that are identical, there's always certain things that are different about them. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God took all that it takes to put us together and everything that is in this world together and brought it into existence to the point where we can believe that it just didn't happen by chance. You know, I close with this. I was reading one particular article, and they were, they were talking about this person having a conversation with another person about, can you really believe there is a God to put all these things together? And they went back and forth, back and forth, and finally the, the one on the side of uh, faith and conviction of God. So what would it take for you to believe in God? And here was the response. Well, if somehow out in the sky I could see it printed in the clouds, but also a voice from heaven said, called me by name and said, I am God, put your faith in me. If I could get that kind of information personally, then I would believe. Well, you know what God is saying to us? Look, I've given you three billion bits of information in every cell of your body. And not only that, I have, have, have these mechanisms that, that are the epigenetic code by which all those unique things about you have taken those letters of the alphabet and form you specifically in who you are. Now, we're not going to remember all the details of all these scientists who are on the side of believing there's intellectual reason to believe in God, but we can take the, the simple, clear points. How do we explain everything physically that we experience and, and touch and can be involved with? How did that come into being? That's the, that's the creation question. Or as we think about all the things that make us up immaterial, how, how can we explain loving some people and, and being turned off by others? How do we explain the ability to relate? How can we explain the ability to converse and, and, and debate certain things or argue or just have a, a, an intelligent conversation? Where did that all come into being? How, how do we make choices? You know, 
you know, how, does, how does a part of our brain get stimulated and the, other, the part of who we are, which you cannot see, you say, no, I, I want to stop that from happening. Where, where does that come from? The immaterial part of who we are. Or just all the information that we see. How did it come to a place where it was organized that it makes sense? Whether it's any library you go to or as Bill Gates says, you look at the computer. The computer is, is basically a, a, a code, a blueprint, a bunch of information that's put in, put in certain forms where it, it it allows it to happen. And I don't know about you, but every computer that I've ever been on, I didn't think it just happened by accident. And so as we think about you, none of us here are accidents. And God has a plan for each one of us. And he wants us to follow him faithfully and fully and completely because it's not just wishful thinking. It's true. And everything he has made cries out for us to believe. And really the Bible says the most obvious reason some people reject what's true about God is they suppress the truth. My mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts or the truth. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we do pray that as we as your, as your people, and if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, might they realize that we're not calling them to just to put their minds on the shelf, but to consider their, that you have spoken and that you want us to, to come to, to faith in that which is real and authentic and that you've not left us in the dark, but you've communicated your message in your son Jesus. Help us put our complete trust in you. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.